0: So good afternoon, I'm Jim Mason, President of ParentalRights.org and Parental Rights Foundation. I'm here with our Executive Director, Michael Ramey, as we wrap up our first season of our podcast. Welcome, Michael. Why don't you give folks a recap of the uh, season of podcasts and then we have some late breaking news that we want to spend some time talking about today based on an important court decision that came out on the very day that we're recording this podcast, June 26, 2020. It won't be quite as uh, fresh news by the time you listen to this podcast, but it's very exciting. It hit our inbox just moments before we decided to record this, and we want to spend some time talking about it today. So, Michael, a little recap.
1: Sure. So this is uh, episode 25. Uh, I want to say thank you to those of you who sent in your questions. i sorry. We're not going to get to those today um, because of this late-breaking news that's really very exciting, uh, but we do appreciate uh, those of you who sent those in. So this is episode 25. Uh, we thought 25 a good round number for closing out uh, this season, um, and we will be back October 6th, which is a Tuesday, to launch season two. Um, so this season's been uh, unusual. We expected Jim and I both would be co-hosting most of the episodes, and, and we'd, um, uh, you know, we we'd do a solo gig here or there if one of us was uh, traveling or sick or something like that. But generally, we'd both co-host uh, the episodes and it didn't work out that way with COVID in particular. Um, So we ended up breaking those down. I did about two thirds of them. Jim did the better third. Uh, He he did some of the the more exciting and interesting episodes, uh, including an episode earlier on this court case that we're gonna be talking about in just a few minutes. Um, And then Shelby and Corey did uh, three episodes. Jim and I did get to do three episodes together, but that's not been since January. Um, Our guests have included 10 lawyers or law professors and a doctor Um, Six heads of organizations and one of our grassroots directors from Florida. Uh, We've had a couple of uh, in office guests as well. And we had three with no guests at all, where we just talked with each other or with ourselves about things going on in Virginia or in the Congress. um, And just kind of a recap on the year uh, legislatively. And now here we are again today, Jim, you and me um, just just us talking about this big court case.
0: So I don't know what episode it was. Michael, maybe you can look it up. But a few episodes ago, one of the, uh, one of the ones that I personally did was with Andrew Brown of the Te- Texas Public Policy uh, Council. And it involved a case that was in the Texas Supreme Court, possibly one of the more important uh, parental rights cases going on in the country, uh, even as we speak. So the case was in Texas before the Texas Supreme Court and Andrew Brown in his organization, Texas Public Policy Council is an ally of ours on parental rights issues. Uh, And we uh, both wrote friend of the court briefs to the Supreme Court of Texas on behalf of uh, the father who was asserting what we consider to be traditionally understood Uh, parental rights being exercised by a fit parent. And so around a month ago or so, when Andrew and I finally uh, were able to have our podcast about the case, we were talking about it, uh, not knowing how it was going to turn out. And today, just moments ago, the Texas Supreme Court issued a ruling um, in the case, In Ray CJC, which is the uh, technical name for it, CJC being the father of a minor child named Abigail. And the um, decision of the Supreme Court of Texas was unanimous in favor of the traditional view of parental rights that we espouse here. And that is that there is a, a constitutionally required presumption that fit parents act in the best interest of their child and that someone, not a parent, to intrude into that relationship must demonstrate first, first and foremost, that the parent is somehow unfit. That's a big win and we'll talk about the facts of this case and how, how the case proceeded and a little bit more about the opinion, but that's the gist of it. The Texas Supreme Court today unanimously upheld the right of parents in the way that we at ParentalRights.org and ParentRights Rights Foundation urged them to do in our amicus brief, as well as others, the Texas Public Policy Council and Alliance Defending Freedom also wrote amicus briefs. And uh, so we're we're pretty excited. Whenever whenever a Supreme Court of a State rules in your favor unanimously, it's a big deal. So Michael, um, cut in here and give us a little background if you can.
1: Sure, so um, first I'll provide that information you just uh, referred to your uh... The earlier podcast was the one that aired on May, May the 26th, so it aired a month ago today. Uh, so anybody who wants to go back and listen to that one, they're looking for the May 26th podcast uh, with Andrew Brown. Uh, yeah, so the the case, and I was just reading uh, this. In fact, I didn't get a chance to finish reading it yet because it came out It's that late breaking. Um, but yeah, so the case is um, that uh, this young daughter, Abigail, she's about six years old now. Uh, when she was three, her mother died in a car accident and um she uh, they she mother and father had split custody time, um, and mother was looking at getting remarried, and so she spent a lot of her custody time uh, with uh, a man named Jason, uh, her fiance, and they uh, sort of had shared custody in a physical sense of Abigail uh, during their time, and they'd been uh, they'd been together about 10 months uh, before the mother passed away in the car, again, from a car accident. Uh, So then Jason uh, sued the court to take up the mother's role as the co-conservator with the father. Uh, And the court, the lower court, you know, agreed with him and said, yes, he can basically take up that role and he can have shared parenting time that the mother would have had because he and the mother were together and Abigail had been living in his home when the mother had her her custody time, and so on. And they considered it uh, an amending of—I uh, forget the exact legal term—you you might have it off the top of your head. But basically, that they were amending an existing order. Um,
0: Technically, it's called a modification. When you uh, when two people share custody of a child and they can't disagree, or they disagree about the uh, amount of time each. This typically happens in a divorce. So you. The mother and father are no longer living together. They have a, a some sort of a custody order. One of them thinks that it's it's not adequate, and they move to modify the order. And that's what the um, fiance of the deceased mother um, was was trying to uh, become a uh, in Texas. They call it a conservator. Basically, have have legal custody of the girl who was not his child
1: right right and so under Texas law if it's a modification, it's been the practice where they don't worry about going back to check for parental fitness because it's already assumed that that's already been dealt with like when it was the mother and the father they'd already sorted out that okay you know there isn't a fitness question here they're both fine but the court has to make the decision between them because they can't agree And that's usually the case in these things and so then when it's when there's a petition to modify, It's usually still the same people, and this is a a, a unique, uh, not entirely unique, but an unusual situation where now this fiance of the late mother was attempting to modify over against a fit parent, and so at that that point, the question is, do we have to go back and visit that fitness question, Um, and of course, our position and the father's position uh, and Texas Policy's position were that, that, yes, you've got to, you've got to go back to that question because now you've got a non-parent versus a parent, a fit parent, and we haven't established that the parent is not a fit parent and therefore they he's got the right to make those decisions without the state interfering.
0: So the um, the, this, this case was important because it was pretty close on its facts and law, the applicable law, to the original Troxel decision. Part of the reason that uh, parentalrights.org came into being was to uh, promote the parental rights amendment because the Troxell opinion in the United States Supreme Court was a very fractured opinion, meaning that of the nine justices, only four really agreed that that there was a fit uh, parent presumption. And alarmingly, Justice Scalia, who was, uh, while he was living, known as one of the more conservative um, justices on the Supreme Court, expressed in very strong terms that there is in fact no constitutional right of parents uh, to direct the care, custody and control of their children. And so um, parentalrights.org was created in, with the idea of, of correcting that view of things by putting a constitutional amendment uh, directly in the text of the constitution saying that parents do have uh, such a right And so the Troxel decision has been the uh, cited decision many, many, many times in state courts ever since it first came down. And this was uh, a case where the facts were so close to those of the original Troxel decision that, um, you know, and, and so much time has elapsed since the Troxel decision uh, it was our concern. I mean, we had no reason to think anything about any of the justices on the Texas Supreme Court, but it was a legal concern that the uh, Texas Supreme Court not depart from what we consider to be the correct understanding of parental rights, that parents have a fundamental constitutional right to direct the care, custody, and control of their children unless they have been found for some reason to be unfit. and. and The concurring opinion in this new Texas case goes into um, what courts should look at as far as unfitness, but in the principal decision, and and there is no discussion of that because in fact, the fiance of uh, Abigail's mother made no argument at all. He more or less conceded that Abigail's biological father was a fit parent, and that there was uh, no valid reason uh, to consider otherwise just that in, in his view, because he had uh, lived with the child and the child's mother for a period of a few months while they were engaged, that he should be treated as if he had the same rights as a parent. And so the, uh, the Texas Supreme Court um, talks quite a lot about the Troxell decision and looks at some of its own older decisions and concludes that even though the statute did not require the court to inquire into the fitness of the uh, of the father, the constitution requires that. And so it reads into the modification statute, the requirement that when a non-parent seeks to, to intervene in and um, challenge the decision of a fit parent, the first question is whether, um, the 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 uh, biological parent is actually fit. You don't get to get to the best interest of the child and substitute the court's judgment for the parent if that parent is fit. So it's a big deal. This is a great a great win. Congratulations to the father and to um, his attorney. I was privileged to both participate by writing a friend of the court brief and. Before oral argument was held at the uh, Texas Supreme Court, early March, I traveled down to Austin and met uh, the father's lawyer and helped uh, on a panel in a moot court to help prepare her uh, for her oral argument. And uh, we were joined there by, we we met in Austin at the Texas Public Policy Council's uh, home office. And we had uh, several uh, Texas lawyers and others who were interested and participated in this case, um, grilling her, peppering her with questions, and kind of pushing her to the limit for a couple of hours. And she did great then, and she did great during the oral argument, and and it turns out that it was all for a really good cause because uh, a unanimous decision that really hard to find any fault with it at all on my part.
1: Yeah, so as I've already confessed, I uh, haven't finished reading it yet because I just didn't have enough time. It just got here so uh, it's, you know so late breaking.
0: Well, um, I confess that I read the opinion instead of reading your script for this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> which
1: is which is why we threw out the original script and all people's questions and everything else. But this is but this is good because this is great news. So, um, but I did I did get as far as reading, and they were quoting from the lower court, um, and this goes to what you were just saying, Jim. Uh, about the best interests in the question and the assumption that the parents do, uh, do decide what's in the child's best interest. The lower court had said, the court has determined what is in Abigail's best interest and you are to make this as agreeable as you can force yourself to do. And that's what they told the father uh, and uh, Jason, the, the mother's uh, fiance. Uh, we've decided what's in our best interest and you are to make this as agreeable as you can force yourself to do. And uh, as the Supreme Court pointed out, and as we would pointed out, uh, as the father's lawyer pointed out, too, that upends the, the presumption. It's not the parent's job to prove that they can make the best uh, decision, but rather the court has to prove that the parent's not in a position to make the best interest decision. Otherwise, we presume that the parents can. And uh, so it kind of reads in the context almost as arrogant of the lower court to say, look, we've already made our decision, and now you have to live with it. Um, it wasn't their wasn't their decision to make. and so that's what makes this such an important decision for parents is it protects the role of the fit parent to say no i'm I'm making the decision and you you have to show that you have a reason and a right, a power, authority to uh, to intervene, a reason to intervene. so they didn't have one here.
0: Okay, well, listen, this is really a really a good uh, a good way to kind of end our podcast year on a high note. Um, any other things you wanna talk about today, Michael?
1: Um, you know, look, I do wanna just hit on one thing about our first season, uh, just kind of in summary. Um, and that is there, there were a couple of things I just found really um, providential, if you will, things that just really worked out great. I think it was terrific uh, that you got to talk to Andrew, uh, of all people, right in the middle of this Texas Supreme Court case thing going on. Um, because, you know, we filed a, a, a brief uh, that, that you wrote and and Andrew, uh, of course, had, had filed their brief. And um, and so for the two of you to be able to talk about this topic uh, while it was still alive, while it was still going on, I thought was just very timely and uh, and very insightful. And then the the uh, episode twenty four, the one right before this, when you talked to Kathleen, uh, and you guys got to talk about the, uh, uh, Pennsylvania law and the case that you had um, been a part of before, and how that's worked out. Um, I thought that was that was great. And then a couple of mine uh, were just the the timing was perfect. Uh, in particular, the one with Carrie uh, McDonald. And she's been in the news a lot lately because she's got her master's in education from Harvard and holds a very contrary view to Elizabeth Bartlett's view uh, that we should have a presumptive ban on homeschooling. And so she's been kind of almost, she's been one of the voices leading the charge against Elizabeth Bartlett. And uh, we had her on uh, a week after she had first done her first op-ed coming out against Elizabeth Bartlett, when all that was really hot and going on. And we got to talk about that some and she and I had scheduled that interview about three or four months earlier when none of that was going on. We had no clue we were going to be talking about that. And so the week that I got to sit down and talk with her for, for about an hour, um, she was getting interview requests from all over and doing all these podcasts and uh, writing op-eds. And, and just she was packed that week, but she had already carved out that hour for us you know, months in advance. We might not have gotten to talk to her. Uh, if they hadn't already been worked out. And instead, you know, and she was a, a gracious uh, guest and, and it was great to have her on. So the timing was just perfect and it wasn't something we really could have planned.
0: Yeah, so her book, Unschooled, Raising Curious, Well-Educated Children Outside the Conventional Classroom has become quite a hot topic lately because of Professor Bartholet, uh and the presumptive ban of homeschooling. What's interesting, so as you know, Michael, I wear more than one hat One of my hats is as the vice president of Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And just about in the time uh, that we have been doing these podcast episodes, I have written, I have been at least overseeing the writing of three friend of the court briefs, two for parental rights and one for um, Homeschool Legal Defense Association, but on related topics. One in Pennsylvania where... uh, we were, we, our amicus brief was in support of a rule of law that holds that uh, during child abuse investigations, the Fourth Amendment right to be free from unlawful or unreasonable search and seizures applies. And as you re- referred to earlier, I had done a case in 2005 at the Intermediate Appellate Court that established pretty much statewide that yes, the Fourth Amendment does apply and this new case that we wrote friend front of the court brief uh, didn't apply to home, home inspections, but it did apply to drug screens, involuntary drug screens. But because it had the potential to unravel kind of the Fourth Amendment protections from the earlier case, one of our parental rights advocates, uh, who's, who's in our coalition and is a, uh, an attorney in uh, a clinic in, in, in Philadelphia, uh, brought it to our attention that this case was uh, being taken to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, so we wrote a friend of the court brief for that, and then we wrote a friend of the court brief here in this Texas case, and then I wrote a, a, a friend of the court brief, uh, talk about providential. No sooner had uh, Professor Bartholet's law review article been publicized that the um, S- Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals um, in Cincinnati, handed down a ruling that said, that children have a positive right to public education, which uh, paralleled Professor Barthlett's arguments. One of her arguments for banning homeschooling was that children should be allowed to come to federal court and sue that they have a constitutional right to a public education, even if their parents don't want it. So we wrote a front of the court brief in that case. And all three cases that we um, wrote front of the court briefs in have resolved favorably during the span of this podcast season. So I'm, I'm thinking that we should always, we should have these podcast seasons, uh, uh, go along with our court cases because apparently the podcasts help us win the court cases or the print of the court briefs. I'm not sure which one, but, um, but yeah, so we, we, we were able to, uh, talk to key attorneys in both of the cases for parental rights and then the, uh, the, uh, uh, the professor Bartholet kerfuffle continues on and it, it is it is of great interest to homeschoolers obviously but I would remind everyone that the right to homeschool depends on the right of parents to educate their children and just to decide how best to educate their children so professor Bartholet's attack on homeschooling is at bottom attack an attack on the right of parents to de- uh, decide what's best for their kids. And so we um, for parental and Parental Rights Foundation and Homeschool Legal Defense Association, all are working together um, for the same goals. And, and what's really been fun, as you know, Michael, and many of our interviews uh, during this podcast season have have been of allies in the cause of parental rights. And many of those, uh, I mean, they run the gamut from um, ideological, um, you know, the ideological gamut from left to right, which is surprising in some ways that um, this is an issue on which people who would not agree on much of anything else agree that parents should be in charge of their kids and being able to uh, uh, decide what's best for them in all but the most extreme circumstances. And first and foremost is a determination that they're not otherwise fit to make the best decisions for their kids. So it's been a quite a good podcast season, quite a good uh, legal season, and I'm really, really happy that this decision came out to um, today while we're considering um, you know, while we're wrapping up our podcast season, because uh, it's really a highlight. It makes it makes it makes us go out on a really high note. And uh, with that, Michael, I think I'm finished talking.
1: Okay, well, I will just uh, wrap up by letting folks know if you want to keep in touch with us, uh, stay in touch, uh, stay up to date over the summer, you can sign up for the newsletter list at parentalrights.org or parentalrightsfoundation.org. And then let you know that Uh, We will be back again for Season 2. Kicks off Tuesday, October the 6th. So uh, we look forward to having you back then. Uh, It's Michael Ramey and Jim Mason. And we'll sign off until next time.